Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. And most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Marty Gervais from Windsor, Ontario, just across the border in Canada. And he is the first poet laureate that the city of Windsor ever had. And he's received many awards for his poetry, including Toronto Harbor Fest Festival Prize and the Milton Acorn People's Poetry Award. In addition, He's had too many to count bits of recognition and awards for his journalism. So a writer to the core. And he has a new book out from Urban Farmhouse Press. That's urbanfarmhousepress.ca if you want to go to their website. And it is called Meeting Thoreau at the Gas Station Diner. Now, you know, when I see that title, we say this is a guy we want on Poetry Spoken here. Because come on, Thoreau and a gas station diner? <laughs> so how did how does it come about <laughs> well I, I can start with that poem on the gordon lightfoot poem and uh sure well, that gets us in the middle of it and it, I, to me it was very i considered it kind of moody not gloomy not down moody just like creating a mood yeah because i can envision a certain field i recall driving through up in your country yeah. uh i just visualized i went right to that field in my brain I didn't hear Lightfoot there, but anyway, let's well, hear the poem. <laughs> it was in, in 1968, and I, I had only I had heard of Gordon Lightfoot. I could never afford to go and buy a, a ticket uh, to go and see him at the riverboat in, in Yorkville, uh, the village. But this was the first time I actually heard him on the radio. That early spring of 1968, on a cool Saskatchewan night, and I paced the edge of the highway, daydreaming the sweep of open fields, certainly praying under an ink-black sky that rested solitary and present over me like the palm of a hand. When a preacher swerved to the side of the road in a dusty green Plymouth Belvedere, I spotted the flashing red ribbon taillights that wrapped around the knife-edge crease running down to the bumper and heard the man shout if I needed a ride. I hopped in, eager to be on my way, and talk soon turned to Jesus and forgiveness and morality and the Psalms, and I asked if he could turn on the radio. And that's when I first heard that voice sailing up and out this preacher's car, a voice that spun in the still prairie air, the blur of notes like the landscape whistling by. 
And I told him to turn up the radio and that he'd have to stop talking and listen and said if the apostles had this man's voice, there'd be real hope to cling to. And we wound the windows shut and grew silent in that precipitous moment feeling the highway stretch clean and straight beneath us murmuring as endless prayer. Yeah. I can just hear those old Lightfoot songs from the early albums. <laughs> oh, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. I fell in love with his music, you know, from that point on, actually. Yeah. Went to his concerts and sure. since then, because I could afford yeah. them now. <laughs> <laughs> I could then, but uh, it was... Uh, Let's let's back up to the beginning because that's such an interesting little story about how you didn't really intend to drive across country all the way, but you ended up doing it. Well, as I say, it was a it was a, a crazy kind of trip. I I I was living in Toronto uh, and I'd kind of run out of all my resources and I was I really just wanted a place uh, where I could get a, a a shower and some good food and so I decided to to go back home to my parents' home and hitchhike from Toronto to Bracebridge, which was about a hundred miles, is a hundred miles North of Toronto. And uh, so I just, I went to the edge of Toronto and there was those days you could do that. And I, and I put out my thumb and, and the first car that came along, I was almost, it was almost like right away. And uh, this car drove up and I hopped in and the fellow kind of leaned over and said, uh, uh, where are you off to? And I was starting to say Bracebridge. And he said, we're going to Regina. And I thought, you know, I got 65 cents in my pocket. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to Regina, Saskatchewan. Why not? And uh, it was crazy. I went a crazy decision I was making because I had no resources whatsoever. And I, but it was, as I say, it was 1968. You know, it was the the, the summer, uh, a year after the summer of love, it was a time, you know, for experimentation. Um, it was a time of self-discovery. And it was also a time when, you know, you could put out your thumb and hitchhike and, and the you know, get into a car knowing that you could trust the people that were going to pick you up and they could trust you as well. Um, may not be like that anymore. I'm not sure. Um, but it was then. And it, it brought me into a world of, of meeting so many different kinds of people. I mean, I, as I say, I met preachers, encyclopedia salesmen, lawyers, railway men. I met wrestlers. I met cooks from the diners, a firecracker salesmen. Um, I met, you know, as I've, you know, I've mentioned before how um, I spent a whole day looking for Jimi Hendrix's grandmother, in uh, East Hastings, Vancouver, because uh, we, we wanted to meet her. And then uh, we never did meet her. Uh, we never did come across her, but my friend uh, uh, who did finally get to get to her, uh, sent me a note saying that uh, that uh, uh, his grandmother uh, had, had, attended the con uh, had attended his concert in Vancouver. She had front row seats to see her grandson but she gave up the front row seats because it was too loud. And she, <laughs> she went to the very back and, uh, but she went to the concert and, and this person I met sent me a postcard, you know, saying that uh, uh, finally found her and, uh, yeah. and got to meet her. Uh, I mean, it was such an interesting, such an interesting trip. And yeah. uh, I thought of something when you mentioned Regina, 
just to give folks an idea of what kind of a decision that was compared to going 100 miles north, would Regina be seven or 800 miles or even more? Oh, it was Toronto. probably, I don't even thousand, know, a, a thousand miles, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's pretty far west, folks. So oh, yeah. it was yeah. it's it's a hell of a decision to make on the spot. Oh sure, yeah. I'll go to Regina. And you know, and when I got to Regina, um I decided to go to Vancouver. And uh and again, I, I along yeah. the way, I mean I had no money whatsoever, nothing. And uh fortunately the, the when I got in that car in Toronto, there was a uh, there was a guy and a girl in the front seat. And there was a girl in the back seat, and the girl in the back seat wouldn't talk to me for about two or three hundred miles, because she was going to meet her fiance's family, and she was she had had the whole back seat to herself, and now I'm there, and uh, but she finally got to talk to me, and we finally sort of struck up, you know, uh, kind of a close closeness, I guess, in in some ways, and uh, and the crazy thing was when she got to, when we got to Regina, she says, "What are you going to do now?" And I said, well, I'm just going to get it back on the highway and continue on and go to Vancouver. And she said, well, but it's nighttime. And she said, would you, how, how about coming to my fiance's family's house and uh, uh, stay there for tonight? And then we'll, you know, we'll take you out to the highway in the morning or something. So I said, I don't think that's a good idea. You're meeting your fiance's family for the first time. And she said, no, I think it'll be fine. So there I am standing on the on the porch. She's knocking on the door. The family opens the door. They're smiling. You see, you know, their daughter-in-law. And then they look behind her and see me, this bearded guy. I'm wearing an army jacket. And, uh, you know, the war in Vietnam is going on at that point. And like, who is this person? Oh and so they, they let me in the house. They feed me. I sleep on the couch. At daylight, literally, the sun is just coming up. I'm sound asleep, and this someone's shaking me. And I wake up, and there's a man standing there, the father and the son. And they say, let's go. I said, well, what do you mean? I said, we're taking you out to the highway now. They were not happy with me. Mm. And, um, so they got me into the car, and the car was just ready to leave. And the girl comes running out down the steps. And where are you guys going? And, and and they said, well, we're taking them out to the highway. So she jumps in the back seat. There she's in the back seat with me again. And we go out to the highway. They drive me so far. They probably, they drove me so far out of Regina that there was no way I'd ever want to walk back. And, um, and they, and then they, they left me there. They turned around and they, they're driving back into, into the city and, and the car stopped, you know, uh, little ways down the highway and i thought what's going on and i see a door open and the girl runs out and down the highway throws her arms around me kisses me on the cheek and gives me a 20 dollar bill and uh <laughs> so now i had 20 dollars <laughs> and i can go further and uh you know and i just went from one uh one car to the next you know and, wow. and you know taking me out and all the way out to the west coast eventually wow. so yeah. I, I only, uh, uh, as I mentioned, I, I only I carried a small backpack with me because I'd only ever intended to go to Bracebridge, like only 100 miles. And in that bag was only <laughs> just a sweater. So, I, I mean, you know, I had I was already wearing a little army jacket, you know, thin army jacket. But I have this uh, 
uh, blue sweater in there. And I had two books. I had one book, uh, um, The Back Country by Gary Snyder. And I had uh, Thoreau's Walden. I never read Thoreau's Walden before. And uh, and it just so happened that both books, you know, were the perfect choice because to, to go across the country, sleeping under the stars, um, sleeping in, I don't know, sometimes in church basements uh, with broken down, you know, statues of saints and uh, uh, sleeping in the back seats of cars, as I say, just, you know, being out, out and around and, uh, and I don't know, and just being close to nature in so many ways, sleeping alongside the Bow River in, in uh, Banff, you know, Alberta. Um, those two books, in some ways, helped me uh, yeah. kind of understand language, especially Gary Snyder. I, you know, I had read Ginsburg before, and I'd read Kerouac, of course, and and read many of the beats, but Gary Snyder I never read. And, uh, and later on, I ended up reading The Dharma Bums, which is a book about sure. him by yeah. Kerouac. And, uh, but what Gary Snyder was doing with his language was, to me, was kind of introducing to me somewhat um, how, in some ways, how haiku, you know, where you, you play one line against another, you know, to ignite you know, the, the imagination. And I, I think in some ways, Gary Snyder helped me understand what to do with language. And I still have both of those books, the, those copies that I brought with me across the country. I still have those very, very same copies. Um, and they mean so much to me because for me, it was a, it was a time of, of uh, exploration, a time of, of uh, self-discovery and understanding yeah. language and, and what I really yeah. wanted to do with language. And, those, two were, those two were perfect accompaniments yeah. for the travel and for the the mindset that you were looking for absolutely uh, the exploratory mindset yeah yeah so, that's just great yeah we're big fans of snyder lots mm -hmm. of people listening to this podcast no everybody knows his work though so and it's so wonderful mm -hmm. and of course thoreau yes i always like to say thoreau is always right yeah <laughs> i mean I, I i thought um you know you know, being introduced, being introduced to what he was doing, um, I, I even to this day, you know, like I, um, you know, when the pandemic started, uh, up until the up, up until the pandemic, I've always, I mean, I've always been a very very busy person with lots of writing projects and and uh, teaching and all sorts of things. But when the pandemic came, I had to really slow down, and so I, you know, in my city. They, they shut down everything and they told people to stay home, not to go anywhere. But wow. I went out, not to not to the streets, but I went out to the woods and mm. I, started, I started walking, not for exercise. I just wanted to go out and meditate. And 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 uh, so I started going out to all these uh, woodland areas around where I live. And uh, and I was I took my camera with me and I went by myself. And there was no one there. Everyone was staying home. But I, so I had the entire place to myself. And so I would walk every day in the woods. Didn't matter whether it was raining or snowing, uh, you know, uh, you know, whether it was sunny or whatever. I just went out every day. And uh, well, we got so, you got a lot of interesting poems here. We, we better yeah, get back sorry. to a poem. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll, how about if I read uh, Meeting Thoreau at the gas station diner, the poem? Oh, sure. Uh, and, uh, and was in a little 
uh, town uh, going out east. And uh, and uh, here here's the poem. I gave up trying to get a ride, and I leaned up against a red maple well off the road and fell asleep, though intermittent passing cars turning on that bend showered me with their lights, and in the morning I crossed over to a gas station, borrowed the key to a dimly lit bathroom at the back of the building, and washed my face and arms and stared at myself in a cracked mirror, wondering what I was doing and why it didn't matter. The ink was black with axle grease. The lopsided toilet seat was split in two. I headed to the station's diner for coffee, settling on a stool at the counter, and I ordered toast. It was all I could afford, and I opened Walden, A Life in the Woods, and I read, I leave the towns behind, and I am lost in some boundless heath, and life becomes gradually more tolerable, even, not e even if not even glorious. A man sitting a ways down asked what I was reading, and I told him it was Thoreau's classic, and he nodded like it was familiar. And then he picked up his coffee mug to move over to a seat next to mine, and he said, we need only travel enough to give our intellects an airing. No, that was Thoreau. Again, Thoreau, word for word from the book, from memory, and so the talk went. And soon the waitress brought over a large china dinner plate of eggs and ham and potatoes and I set it down in front of me courtesy of the man next to me and he smiled and then stood up and departed and I watched him wending his way past parked cars in the gas station lot before taking a path beyond the highway and vanish into the woods that ending is really excellent and vanishing into the woods. Yes. On top of everything else. You know? know. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. It's like a spirit coming to talk to like exactly. Greet exactly. You. Yeah. It was wow. uh, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting trip. Um another another poem that I that I'd like to read uh, in and this tells you the kind of people that you meet when you're on the road. And it's called the Chevy Bel Air and Medicine Hat. And All right. uh, and on the way to uh, Maple Creek. The best ride ever. Somehow I hoped it would be when I saw this dreamy Chevy Bel Air slow down and cruise toward me in the early morning sunlight. And I caught the driver in a stiff straw hat nod for me to hop in. And I dropped into the soft leather seats, turquoise and white, like the dashboard. And he could tell I was impressed, but the man never took his eyes off the road as he told me this was a 1954 two-door coupe. And didn't I like it? But I wasn't really listening. I could barely hear the car hum, nearly silent as we made our way west to Maple Creek. And the man went on endlessly about how he had bought it brand new with money saved by moving in and taking care of his aging mother. And now that she had passed, he hoped to marry the woman he was about to meet up with, someone he'd known for more than a year, and how she reminded him of his mother, maybe the way she listened, or the way she sat attentive with hands cupped on her lap. And his plan was to take his sweetheart for a ride in the Bel Air, down to the river, and park under the dogwoods and propose to her. And what did I think of that? And so I wished him all the luck in the world. 
And when we drove into Maple Creek past the tall, straight storefronts, I thought he was going to drop me off. But first, he wanted to show me where he was going to take his bride and then guided the big car down to the river and we sat under the dogwoods. And he reached into the back for a bouquet of flowers and said, what do you think? Is this a good idea? What can I say? He had driven me 132 miles. <laughs> That's a great anecdote. Yeah. The fact yeah. that he wanted to take you down there is just that's. Yeah, and he, and he wanted to try try it out on me. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. what did I care? You know, it's um, um another poem that I that, that I, I it's called backpack and and sort of tells you where I was and or how I traveled in some ways. And, and maybe I could read that. I'm sure. such a short poem. I never much liked carrying anything except this tidy backpack with two books and later a toothbrush, an extra sweater, a lined notebook, anything else stuffed into the canvas bag, like a few rolls of toilet paper from a gas station. I could have used a sleeping bag, a warmer jacket, a decent pair of shoes, just about anything. But it was all fine. How much more content could I be than to scramble up the morning highway after a night of bedding down under a blinking Milky Way 25,000 light years away? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you're right there with the row. Simplify. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I brought the right assortment of things. So I do. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so true. And then you had a significant stop at Banff, it seems. We had a little cluster of poems around Banff there in the Bow River and whatever. Uh, that yeah. was kind of interesting, like a little well, or something. Yeah, I, 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 I got a, a ride, you know, from Calgary. And uh, and the, this fellow with a beautiful car, and he left me off in front of a, a cafe on the main street of Banff. And it was at midnight. And he said, you'll meet someone, you know, in that cafe. It's midnight. But he said, that's where a lot of young people are. So I went in there and I, I walked in. The place was jam-packed. Music was blaring. And I didn't, there wasn't any place for me to sit down, I didn't think, anyway. And I walked down this aisle. And this uh, girl was sitting at a, at a booth and she had two cups of coffee, one in front of her and one across from her. But then no one was sitting there. And she said, why don't you sit down? And I said, well, it looks like someone's here. And she said, no, no, I, I saw you come in. I ordered you a coffee. So I sat down. Well, that night she took me down to the Bow River and introduced me to a f person who was renting out boats. And I, I ended up uh, uh, staying there for the, well, for the next little while I was helping him rent rent out the boats and and but I met the I met also met a couple of English girls and but this there's a poem that kind of like tells you what the 1960s was all about and here I am out in the woods and uh, and staying in an old bunkhouse and uh, and I met these two English girls um, and um, and after the trip was all done I did hear back from them the poem is called the bathtub. That day we boiled up river water in pans and kettles and pots and we dragged an old porcelain clawfoot bathtub into the cabin. First emptying it of pine needles and leaves and then carefully filled the tub with hot water. The two of us, one after another, stripped 
and stepped into its steamy warmth and sat down in the bare bulb glow of this place in the woods, my first bath in maybe weeks, cross-legged opposite this woman, a stranger only a few days ago. And we talked and talked till we didn't notice the water was getting cold. Yeah, that's lovely. <laughs> I think you can see the Gary Snyder, you know, kind mm -hmm. of feeling to that that poem. I, 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 you know, I don't remember too many names of people, but I remember her name. Her name was Carol. <laughs> mm. uh, she was from Manchester. Um, yeah, well, and you've got the whole ambiance of it. You had a clawfoot tub, yeah, a mountain cabin. Oh, it was. It was. It's uh, hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, it was all it's really wonderful. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Um, yeah, it was an interesting trip. As I say, a lot of crazy things were happening in 1968. The whole trip started, as I say, uh, the whole the whole trip started on the day that Martin Luther King, you know, was killed. I was that's that's when I got on the highway and I we found out about it on, on the radio. But also, it was a time. It was in April and uh, um, 1968, and and Pierre Trudeau. Uh, became the prime minister. Uh, and, and before I left Toronto, he was running. Uh, you know, he was running for the job of becoming prime minister. And uh, um, I can read this poem called "The Kiss." If you'd All like. right. Yeah. And, yeah. And we've got time for one more. Okay. This one uh, is called "The Kiss," and it's uh, this is uh, April twentieth. And uh, <clears throat> that morning in the diner, I read the story in the paper about Pierre Trudeau being sworn in as prime minister and showed the headlines to my British girlfriend with some delight, but she shrugged saying this was all so boring, all this political stuff. And then I told her how a friend of mine managed to plant a kiss on Trudeau's cheek at a rally in Toronto a month ago. My girlfriend rolled her eyes. And later that day, I hiked alone into the woods and climbed high above the town to rest and read in open sunlight despite a sudden chill in the still air. And at one point when I was beginning to doze off, I glanced up and there, 10 feet away from me, a red fox. His grizzled coat, buff neck and black tipped tail glowed in the afternoon light and I watched it slip silently out of sight. And when I tracked down the slope to the town, back to the cabin, eager to share the sight of this fox, I was met with a message the photograph of Trudeau torn from the Globe and Mail, tacked to the wooden door with three words penned across the picture, I'm sorry, in the distinct smudge of a red lipstick smooch on the prime minister's cheek. <laughs> Good one. Well, this, this has been great, Marty. I, I uh, have always loved visiting Canada. And yeah. hearing you talk about it reminds me of a lot of happy times yeah. you know, and interesting well, times. And then the time period you're talking about is, folks, yeah. it's a good little history lesson from one man's perspective. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Charlie. I really appreciate you having me on this uh, program. And uh, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And it's, it's a lot of fun just reliving some of this, you know. Yeah, I agree with those kind of poems. Uh, yeah, it always is. Sure. Yeah. Well, folks, 
You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. Our feature today, our featured poet, Marty Gervais from Windsor, Ontario. So be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Monley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.